Hello, welcome back to another episode. Hi, what everyone. Are, what are we talking about today, Sam? We are talking about how to save for your deposit, which is uh, obviously the first step. If you want to buy a property, you need money, right? Yes, yes, guys. We have intentionally thought about the process of buying properties. We've been through it ourselves, and Sam uh, has been in this, as you know from the last episode, in this career for a long time. So we've linearly, linear, linearly wires, yeah, breaking down... <laughs> It's step by step. So we're starting starting off first and uh, we've got a friend who wants to buy their first property. Yeah, it's a great actually case study. Yeah. We should probably get him on. Yeah, we should. Mm. And uh, I was talking to him at training about uh, how much deposit he could need to buy his first property and I was speaking to you and I thought, oh, maybe he could buy, a, you know, have a smaller property, you know, around the 300K range and what would it cost him um, how much does he need to save? Because he needs to get a bit of a deposit put together. Yep. Uh, so, what what do we like? What are the what's the minimal amount that you could buy a property for, and how much cash would that cost? Yeah, yeah, good question. So uh, you can go all around Australia, and you can go probably buy something for maybe fifty thousand dollars. Okay, you know. But the question then begs: is where is that property? And yeah. the answer is nowhere. You should be buying. <laughs> so. Don't do that. Um, in my experience, the I bought properties from like two fifty, two hundred fifty thousand would be the lowest price probably I ever bought. Now, there's people out there that advocate for you know those really low two hundred thousand dollar houses that it's basically you're buying the the property is basically you're buying the improvements, the cost of improvements to replace is higher than the purchase price. Oh wow! And I get that methodology. Um, however, the risk component to that, for me, is a little bit too high in that you know, what are those areas you're buying in, what are the quality of tenants that you're actually attracting in those 200,000 or houses. Um, so my preference is generally to be a $300,000 plus um, purchase price budget. Okay. And um, So that's for a buy and hold, right? Because that, that other strategy, if you buy something for like 200K, you you can look at improving it with the flip i think i'm not into flipping and i know that you're most likely not into flipping as well we we don't like extra work so are you saying a 300k property is a buy and hold strategy and what would a 300k property look like is it like a two bedroom one bathroom unit or is it a three bedroom one bathroom home three bedroom one bathroom home okay and it's um with a block with a block yeah like a Six hundred square meters, okay. so um, they're out there. It's just uh, you got to sort of, for me, what that the say on a two hundred thousand dollar property, you're looking at a ten percent deposit. That's twenty grand plus your stamp duty. It might be like seven thousand dollars. So there's twenty seven, twenty seven yep. plus your stamp duty. That's what your legals um, on that one, and then other sort of bank costs. You're kind of looking at around thirty thousand dollars. Okay, um, and that's not taking into account any advice. Fees that come into play. So twenty-seven k deposit or twenty. I for a two hundred thousand dollar house, you're probably looking at you know thirty to thirty-five grand. And why I say thirty-five is that that's for a two hundred thousand dollar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's say what would a three hundred thousand dollar property cost? Well, you just add on the extra. So the ten percent deposit is you know, 30, thirty grand. So it's going to bump itself up. Generally, um, people say sixty thousand dollars is that magic number. And in the buyer's agent space, that is because there's a professional fee involved of around ten thousand dollars. It's buyer's agent fee, mm-hmm. so um, that actually is a fee that obviously is like you're reducing your risk, right? So I, 
get how that works. Um, it's not only just the location research that you're looking for, it's the analysis and negotiation as well. Okay, cool. And guys, we are not buyer's agents, mm. but we believe buyer's agents are awesome. We've both used buyer's agents. Yeah. Uh, and They're not for everyone, though. They're not, they're not, for, they're not for everyone. But just like we're not like we don't have anything to sell you. Just so you know, we're just we're just here to, to give value and information. And so thirty thousand dollar deposit, and then you got another thirty thousand dollars in what fee? So is that stamp duty, legals, a bit of a cash buffer, and your ten ish k for a, a buyer's agent? Fee. Okay. So for me, I so like some people could do it for themselves for fifty grand, but yeah. we would not add. But personally, in not even being buyers agents, we would not advise that right well you always want to get um like take the buyer's agent fee out of it if you found a property for three hundred thousand dollars i'd really want to be looking at where you're buying that um because there's no point in buying a property that's just going to sit there and go nowhere in value or it might trickle up you know a few thousand dollars a year because it's the opportunity cost you're losing out on you're better to wait 12 months save up a great deposit and go buy a better quality property in a better growth location got you so, yeah, there's um, a few different sort of metrics around it. The, the most important part for people is to learn how to start saving for that deposit because that's going to give you options. I just wouldn't play it around in that sub-300 range um, for those obvious reasons that I've mentioned before. Mm. Um, realistically, I would be more of an advocate for 400 plus. Um, but then there are people that, uh, you know, they've, they've worked that to that point and they really want to get in and there is a good case to say, like, those three hundred to four hundred thousand dollar properties, because they are cheap essentially. If you're buying in those locations that are well built out and tick all those investor uh, boxes that you know, we'll work through in this podcast, um, you're going to get that good growth content because not like the majority of people can afford a three hundred thousand dollar house, but not everyone can afford a million dollar house. Mm-hmm. So um, when you so running- there's more people in that market of buying that three hundred k. To five, six, seven hundred k. It's also a downside risk as well. So um, people that are in that, they're, they're less affected by, I guess, economic conditions because they're just employees and they're probably in a, in a location. Generally, they're regional, so they're quite, um, like, say, it's like a a farming and a agricultural location. Um, people always need food, so their job security is a little bit greater. When you get to those locations like the mining towns where the job security in um, down markets is just eradicated, then people flock back to the cities where the employment hubs are and they leave their houses and that's what drops values because supply goes up and demand goes down. Got ya, got ya. See how much this guy knows. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, I want to, like Sam can go down these these routes because he's got so much knowledge in them and there's so much value in it, which we're going to extract and probably talk about in later parts on mm, yep, uh, who, who yeah. you should have on your property team and where to buy these properties and, and asset types and stuff like that. But just for people starting out, you said you could, you'd rather people push towards a 400K investment. So let's compare, let's compare them because I think maybe there's a pool of people that are best suited to buying something at 300K and they're the people that, are struggling to save up to get to that point and will just want to get in the market and have their money working for them whilst they build towards a 400k purchase but how much would a, a 400k purchase cost like a deposit are we talking 400 are we talking forty thousand dollars for the deposit and then how much for stamps what's 15 grand oh generally 16. 12 and a half each state's differently but say you run uh, 
conservative, or higher end of that stamp duty, you can say $15,000, so that yeah. brings you up to 55. 55. Plus all your um, legals, which is generally like around $1,500, plus your building and pest report, there's another 500. And then you have a little buffer there, of say three grand for other fees that might come through. Um, so take that around to 60 and then 70 for a buyer's agent. Yeah, if you want to check well. on top as well. Okay. So, so and, sixty to so seventy. So it's only ten thousand dollars more, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the deposit that yeah. the changes. Yeah. Um, so that's when you think about you know, if you're on this this journey, mm-hmm. um, then can you save another ten thousand dollars? The benefit of getting into the market earlier it depends on the cycle, right? Every buyer's agent is going to tell you now's the best time to buy, but I look a bit deeper into the economic cycle and go, well. <laughs> You know, where are we? Is it feeling we're at the peak? Is there, there's a lot of mania. Is everyone out there buying property? Mm. You know, that's never the case. If you look back in history, it's always working in flows and cycles. Yeah. So, um, this is so good. I'm so excited <laughs> to break that down because there are a lot of buyers agents out there just putting so much content out there. And we are advocates for using a buyers agent for yourself personally. And maybe we could recommend a few down the track when we get to this point. But, um, there's also an agenda with somebody that's in that market. It's like mm. typically most people in property have an agenda uh, yeah, and that's why, yeah, they're in business and that's kind of why we would just wanted to, you guys will hear more about our story. We just love property and we, uh, we don't have a product to sell, which is cool. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, an, it, it's an educational platform in the day yeah, that yeah. we're trying to sort of help yeah. out there and um, there's a lot of people out there that are actually there's analysis paralysis and there's information overload. Mm. Uh, and I guess that's the whole intention here is to try and help people. And you know, what will be will be. Some will um, take on the advice. Some want to go do it alone and learn for themselves. And you know, hopefully this empowers you to, at the very least, you'll learn more and you'll be able to make more educated decisions, which yeah. will help your financial future. Definitely, definitely. So let's just sort of jump back into the... Yeah, let's, yeah so... Sort of tangents. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> You can tell how much exciting things we want to talk about. So, what's the what would be the first step for saving deposit? Like you and I had to save up deposits. Actually, I think we're both pretty good with savings when we're growing up. Yeah. Um, so maybe we just share some of the stuff that we've learned. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the first part of it is we're talking about you know figure out what you need as a deposit. What's your you know comfort level and you know what are you willing to I guess purchase price range and that'll help you figure out what you need. So we're talking. So you got a goal there. Yeah, you've got a goal that you're saving towards and that way um, you'll be motivated to reach it. So if you are in a, like the lower cost, the lowest I would say would be $300,000. That's just my opinion. Um, and if you're looking at that, you're probably looking at around $50,000 just in cash to, to go down that path. Yeah. And um, that's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about cash buffers, but common sense would just suggest don't put all your eggs in that basket because if, say, the aircon goes or something goes, you need that cash and you don't want to put it out on a credit card. It's going to stress you out. You're not going to enjoy the experience. So yeah. let's just work off, say, $50,000 is the minimum. Minimum up to uh, 80, 70 up, to 80. Yeah, so up to 80. It depends on you know, where you're at. But I guess the fundamentals of this whole episode is go, well, how do you get to that? If you're mm. sitting there and you're like, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm struggling to even just you know live at the moment and you want me to pull out 50 grand. Especially in times like we are yeah. in, at time of recording. Yeah, so some little tips and tricks. So let's like the the first thing which um, I would say is get control of you know, your, your bad debts and eradicate them. And what are bad debts? They're things that are costing you money, right? Like credit cards, uh, I 
guess, buy now, pay later fees, mm. car loans, mm. things like that. Yeah. Um, there's savvy ways to do it, and this is just general advice, obviously, but you can, if you have those higher debts, like car debts and credit card debts, you can consolidate them into um, either a, a full credit card um, balance transfer. So what that is is you take the credit card debt you've got, other banks will offer you a 0% interest rate period mm. over a 12 or 24-month um, period, and they do that to entice you into their bank because then you become a customer. And what's that doing? It's actually stopping you from having to pay 15 to 20% plus on that debt on your credit card. It's giving you that ability over that one to two years to pay down that debt as opposed to paying down the debt and the interest. So it will fasten that up. With car loans, um, look, you can refinance into different products as well. We can even take out uh, sort of maybe lower rate mortgage, um, so personal loans. But the whole intention is to really reduce that, um, I guess, that debt liability because you want to transfer from paying interest to paying down debt, and that's going to help you eradicate that debt as soon as possible. I love it. I love it. So I'm, I want to maybe just bring up and talk about the leaky bucket syndrome that I've worked on with people before. Typically, when I talk about the leaky bucket syndrome, I used to do a lot of like one-to-one -one coaching, and uh, the leaky bucket syndrome is basically where you put all your money into the bank account, basically all of your income, and there's leaks and it's the plumbing is not plumbed up to different assets or saving buckets uh, like a deposit or a wealth account for your own uh, you know, personal investments or business investments. And so what I typically found was people, I would just go through people's expenses and I actually teach this um, still to this day in how to fix your leaky bucket and it's basically working out actually what all of your expenses are, what, working out what all your income is, working out what all your expenses are, but just in the process in looking at all of your, exp uh, listing out all of your expenses, there's so much gold and so much value in that mm. because you end up realizing you're like paying for things that you didn't, you forgot, or you didn't even know you were paying for. And typically they're the ones that you should decrease or remove. And I'll talk about that shortly. Uh, but when you... When you do write out your list of expenses, I believe it's best to not just try and do it all in one sitting. Knock out the 80-20 the of it in one sitting, but then think about it throughout your week and maybe take one or two weeks to do it because as you're working and you're thinking, oh, what are these other things I'm paying for? Things will pop up in your head, things that you have actually literally forgotten about. And then after that two-week period, you should have your big long list. And at that two-week period, what I tell people to do is to eliminate entertainment expenses or erratically uh, remove them. Yeah. And entertainment expenses are anything like, it could be as small as like Netflix all the way up to a lot of people spend a lot of money on alcohol and eating out and going out. Typically, I've been, by going through this process when I used to do it one-on-one, -on -one, I would help people save anywhere from like a couple of grand a year to tens of thousands of dollars a year. And when you can do that, like I've helped people save 50 grand a year in just one phone call by just becoming conscious of what, where your money is being leaked out. And that's, that's a deposit, right? 50 grand. We just talked about that. So yeah, I think once you've got all those things, you can start eliminating those expenses and or decreasing those expenses. For example, you talked about a car loan. So, and I think it's really worth us taking a bit of an ego hit at some stages in our life 
and selling down things that aren't that are liabilities. Like a car is a liability; it takes money out of your pocket, especially if you got a car loan. So sometimes it's worth not. And I know people that I've worked with that have sold their cars, got rid of their car loan, bought a, a regular car that's not super fancy, and they were way happier, and they saved way more money, and they put that money they saved into making them more money as well. So they put their money to work rather than them working so much harder because they had these liabilities. And so we're not here telling you guys what to do. We're just sharing options of what other people have done that we've worked with in the past. And uh, I think fixing your leaky bucket, guys, can save you, you know, five, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, especially in Australia where people may perceive that we have not the best incomes, but I believe we do. I believe we've got great incomes. I think we're just broke. Where we're broken is consumerism and marketing and and this is another story for another time. No, let's touch on it quickly though, because okay. we're going to talk about this, and it's it's so relevant. Yeah, like keep, keep going with like you you run multiple businesses that you understand the the marketing side of it. Mm-hmm. Like, what's business's intention? The biz, a business is the business's goal. A business is a system. What I t- tell people: a business is a system that provides a result, and that result is an income or is money. So right. the, the the intention is to generate their money. Yeah, correct. Their money. So correct. And where do they get that money from? It's from everybody. Everybody that needs the product, or mm. what people can do with their marketing, with unethical marketing, is they can subliminally uh, plant Colors. seeds. Yeah. yeah, plant seeds that like your life will be better if you have this T-shirt. Or your life will be better if you have this car or you will feel better. And if you feel better in your life because you got this car, then everything else will just radiate towards you. And it's not actually true. Uh, I find it's, it can be the opposite. Yeah, well, for those listening, ask yourself, like, you have bought something new. How long did that feeling last mm. for mm. until you wanted, you were looking for something else? Mm. And that's like the whole, from what I can see it is, um, we are running around trying to impress people we don't know by buying things we don't need. You know, with like, money that we don't have. With money that we don't have. Like buy now, pay later. I mean, there's another company, I think they're even out of the Gold Coast, that they're, um, you know, my pay now. So people are accessing their pay before they even get paid it. Like yeah. what do you think the compounding effect of that's going to be over yeah. your life? So if you're doing that and you're listening to this, stop it. <laughs> yeah. You know, your, your future is... You're setting yourself up to fail. Oh, yeah. Setting yourself up yeah. to success. Sorry, a little bit of passion. <laughs> no, I like it. It's it's important because people will have the oh my life's so hard, and life is hard at stages, and we have that. But you've got to take, you've got to make conscious choices, and I think maybe we talk about that a little bit further. And yeah, I guess that's mindset sort of stuff. Yeah, too. it's definitely mindset. So I think we should have a, a mindset episode. You guys, let us know. Give us feedback. Email mm. in. And let us know if you want some mindset around investing and setting yourself up for success because. We know a lot about that because uh, we've had to both Sam and I text each other, call each other, and we talk about this stuff so, so often. So in the leaky bucket syndrome, you can decrease and reduce those expenses. And I even look at, you know, phone bill. My phone bill, I run multiple businesses. My phone cost me $60 a year, my phone bill. And we're going to talk about that. It's put, just, put, a, put a few things in the show notes, maybe. Yeah. How do you do that? It's just it's it's just those cheaper plans that you know you can have that you shop around. Yeah, you can shop around, and you know sixty dollars a year when people are paying thirty dollars a month, which is you know four hundred dollars a year, four hundred dollars a year versus sixty dollars a year. You know that extra three hundred and forty dollars in your pocket can go towards 
you know, you making more money. And it's just one small expense. There's so many other ones. So I guess we won't go too much about into the leaky bucket syndrome, but do you have anything to add before we move on to the next um, one? Similar to what you were coaching your clients on, um, I like to go through your bank statements. So mm. go for the last three months and print it out. I know it's a bit of a pain in the ass, but do it. And then you'll actually be able to see what it is you're truly spending on because right. a lot of people sit there and they think, oh, it's this and this. But if you can track that, um, then you, you itemize them into a, a budget planner and you can see, well, you know, there's discretionary, non-discretionary, and yeah, you're fixing, you're putting holes in that bucket essentially. That's a really good step in itemizing the list of expenses that you have rather than trying to use your head to head to do it um, yeah. and think about it. So I think that's great. Um, so not, what's the next one? Well, um, well, this is your this is your wheelhouse, so I'll <laughs> let you bring this one in. The next one is earn more income, and you don't need like the earn more income. The investment vehicle in property is going to be that as well. It's mm. going to help you earn equity and it's like all and cash flow, too. And cash flow as well. Uh, so earn capital growth, which can be turned into equity, I should say, and then also cash flow. So that's you are already working towards earning more income. So we'll, we'll take our hat off to you guys for that. But I also believe that you can typically do more depending on what your life looks like and how much you're prepared or how hungry you are. Mm. I've had people that have, I've worked with that are like, Jared, I, I need to save more money. I've, I've done the leaky bucket syndrome, but I need to earn an income. And I'm a lot of people, this is an argument and not an argument, but this is, there's two good opinions on should I decrease my expenses and my lifestyle? Mm. Maybe not. Or, and should I increase my income instead and keep the same lifestyle? Well, I think, you can do both, hmm. you know. And have it all. Yeah, have, I think you can do both and find the happy medium for you because this is a very personal thing. But I've had people that have decreased their leaky bucket or fixed their leaky bucket, decreased their expenses, and then also said, Jared, I would just want to make more income so I can get more money to put towards this type of investment. And they went away and did multiple jobs, you know, and – uh, I've had people that have been working for me doing running sales jobs, right? Phone calls, sales phone calls, and then also picking up scooters and charging them at home and then re-delivering them back to the city and making a killing, like making like $1,400 a week doing an extra 30 hours a week of work. And you can do Uber driving, uh, Uber Eats. There's so many different ways that people can earn income. You got phone sales at night. You got phone sales. You've got so many different ways that you can earn extra income without now needing to go and have to wait tables. You could wait tables. We talked about that earlier. You could just go and wait tables in your spare time as well. Mm. Uh, so I think earning more income, it's kind of a sacrifice at the start of your journey because you're sacrificing your time, but it can allow you to speed up the process of retirement and the better lifestyle that you want. Do you have anything to add to that? Oh, the one thing I'd say is uh, increase your hourly rate. Like, yeah. look look at what you're doing for income at the moment, and rate point, and ask yourself, well, what are the roles out there in the world in my local community that I can increase my hourly rate? And people get married to a persona of like, oh, I'm a barista, or I'm mm. a concreter, or I'm a fencer, or I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a property guru, or whatever. You know, like. <laughs> uh, I'd say what your time is very important, and um, my wife, she, she is one person who actually um, went and did this. She 
obviously was working marketing jobs and um, you know, very intelligent, has all like the university degrees and in the end she just wasn't passionate about it and then she came across um, NDI's caring mm. and um, she loves caring for people and don't get me wrong, there's, there's good things about it and there's bad things about it but she doubled her early rate. Wow. Um, and that's not only because she learned the system of you know how to care for people but also realised that you know, if you're the one that gets those leads, your hourly rate can actually significantly increase. And that's where you know, Jared talks about having those little businesses on the side that um, can generate that income or you know, just doing those things that might be a little bit outside the box because most people are trained and I was that person. You know, go to university, learn a subject, get a job in that subject and stay in that for your life and then <laughs> stay in your jail cell. <laughs> you <know? laughs> And that's just not simply not the case. Like there's people out there, like one of your friends, you know, they're they're doing a few templates online for people, like mm -hmm. virtual assistants. They generally charge between thirty and sixty dollars an hour, and they're just doing. Like we've got a admin girl that does you know really simple things, but you know for the price of sixty dollars, it's like well, my only rate, it's costing me money to do that role, so you're outsourcing. And there's businesses out there, so you just got to put yourself out there and just you know, see what happens. I love that. Increasing hourly rate is something that's so important that you can do without having to change your job as well. Like you, or your, can, hour, yeah. your or your or your hours or adding. So I've gone and given you the ideology that you could just do more work, more hours. But increasing, if you could do both, out increase your hours and increase your hourly rate. That's hockey stick, hockey stick growth. <laughs> you get towards more money towards your savings deposit, and you can do that in job you already have as well if you're very good at your job you can say hey like why you know i i would like to ask go up a role. Yeah. yeah ask for promotion go up go up a role or negotiate ask, negotiate your contract uh and or what you've done is i've seen sam do this in his life as well is he's just up upskilled his life and taken different jobs where he's always earning a high hourly rate and that's yeah you've, well, done, you've done really well well, yeah, but it's also you want that challenge too. And it's not just the money when it gets to a certain stage where obviously you save the deposit and everything, mm -hmm. but it's the, you know, what are you learning as well? You know, that's, that's a, it's not a form of money, but it, you're moving that knowledge into a source of income at some stage in your future. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a bit of a ramble on that one, but hopefully you got some good little nuggets of gold. So the, yeah. the last one I want to touch on is, look, this is, uh, you know, not for everyone, obviously, but, um, you know, put your big rocks in the jar first. You know, if you're sitting there, you, you're like the, the duck on the water that's kicking frantically and going nowhere or, it's, you know, just think about, you know, there are alternatives and if you're worried about, I'm prefacing this, mm. if you're worried about what people think of you, they're not your friends, you know, like people like you for who you are, not for where you live and this is what I'm sticking into, which is, if it's important for you to have that financial freedom and to move um, into your own you know, either principal place residence or start growing your income streams through investment properties, move in with your parents, get a roommate, or move to a, a, a cheaper rental somewhere if that's possible. You know, there's multiple ways of reducing that initial income, and uh, that's just my third little tip. And like for me, I stayed at home with my parents for a long time. Obviously, they they travelled as well. I stayed at home for ages. Yeah, but we were traveling the world too. We're, we're in and out of home, basically. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
but it, it was so helpful because it yeah. allowed us to save money to travel and also invest because you and I were investing in the stock market mm-hmm. early days and yep. currency uh, trading too. Currency trading and we tried so many different things <laughs> uh, and it helped a lot because we could save money to travel for travel and for investing and mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess um, looking at it from that way, I know obviously we say we travel, but we backpack. We, you know, through our twenties, we weren't we're, we're not trust fund babies. We're not nothing like that. Like it's literally we were soaking our beans in Puerto Escondido in Mexico <laughs> because the surf was really good out the front, you know. And, yeah, yeah. You know, some people we, we lived off like four dollars a day or something ridiculous, mm-hmm. five dollars a day. Yeah, and some people that's not for everyone, but at the same time, like. You can get so much enjoyment, like what do they say? The best things are for free, and like obviously through our experience, I'm, I'm an advocate of that as well. Mm. But these are just a few, a few tips and tricks that we wanted to really try and focus in on because everyone comes to me and they're like, "Oh, fantastic! I want to buy a property. That's my goal." And I say, "Well, what do you have in the bank? Because no bank is going to let you buy a property with no money. Mm. So that's the first hurdle on everything: is learn how to save." What, is there anything else that you add to them, uh, you give, give to them when they say, all right, I need to save money? Like, is there other things you give them as well other than saving money advice? Like, yeah, like a budgeting tool. And like, we can probably create a budgeting tool, but there is really, there's a lot of free budgeting software um, or spreadsheets that are on the internet. So, seriously, just Google a budget. And you'll break down your weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annually expenses, mm. and then you track it. Mm. Um, and another key way is um, in your bank accounts. You can set up multiple bank accounts, so you might have. Um, so there's a really good book, and we'll put this in um, on our website because it's a book that's changed my life, and my father gave it to me. And it's called The Richest Man in Babylon. A lot of people do quote it. I've read it. It's a fantastic Twice. book. <laughs> it's, it's it's actually it's pretty pretty easy to read too. Yeah, it's simple. Um, and the whole philosophy is pay yourself first. At least 10% of whatever you earn gives yourself first. So you need to be paying that into your bank account and then you'll see your other bank account dwindling down and you'll start going, oh, wow, these are my expenses. And then you'll start focusing more and more. I don't want to touch my savings because that is contributing to my future. Mm. How can I reduce these expenses? Go back, re-listen this podcast, listen to things we talk about, implement those, these, those key steps we've talked about through this process. Mm. And if it's still not working, reach out, let's have a chat, and we can work through it with you because I think that's um, a, you know, a pretty valuable resource. Yeah, I agree. With the, whilst you mentioned pay yourself first and bank accounts, the step, and I haven't coached this in many years now, but one step that I did tell people to do once in the leaky bucket syndrome is once they have actually uh found out how much money they can save is to set up a bank account called an investment account and to have an automated transfer of that income that they saved straight from as soon as they get paid, like an hour or two or the same day they get paid, have that go straight into their investment account. So if you save, if you're able to save $200 a week, set up or work out you can save $200 a week by decreasing your expenses, set up an investment account, bank account, and have an automated transfer straight into that. And then you don't you don't need to, as a human, get in the way of that process. Yeah, that's what, actually what I did. Um, but the bank that I use, and they're great, it's ING Bank. 
they, they reward you for consistently depositing into their savings account. You know, there's arguments where you can say you can take those small amounts of money invest in the stock market because it's a low entry price. But then uh, I just sort of say, well, what are your big rocks? If you go through a, a large drawdown, it's quite um, emotional. <laughs> it's way. definitely when you lose lose your you know, your savings um, with shares. So I think it's a scary one to invest something into one market knowing that you're going to take it out to try invest in another market yeah you need a long-term and and yeah if you're going to i believe investing you should put it into that place into that investment for five to ten years minimum Mm. not whilst you're saving for another investment i don't think it's a good personally a good route depends on your risk appetite but i agree Mm. wholeheartedly because you don't know where the market sits in two years and generally with this amount of money if you've got that ability like the things we've talked about you should be saving an extra twenty five thousand dollars a year you know, based on just a few things we've talked about here yeah um, so that's two years and you've got a deposit really yeah and that's not long enough to be any investment you should go in with a longer term mindset unless you're a professional trader then that's different but i just don't feel people that are professional traders are probably listening to this also um, i don't think you i don't think or struggling for 50 grand. Trading is a tough one because you've got algorithms and technology that can outwit humans. Yeah, that's a whole new process. <laughs> Which now. we won't get into. The, the, data <laughs> and the, the, the bots are actually causing you know, massive drawdowns. And yeah. there's a lot of money actually in play in financial markets that are well above the Joe Public's pay grade and they manipulate markets. It's been happening for you know, centuries. Yeah. So, um, you know, look into the, the JP Morgan lawsuits <laughs> but no one everyone always forgets to think uh you know there's enough dust under the rug essentially over time people do forget and yeah. um that, that's another economic cycle thing that we'll, we'll touch on later in the podcast so much to touch on guys we're in the next episode we're going to talk about the next step in your property journey uh reach out if you have any questions uh yeah thanks for listening yeah, so the next step is once you've got the deposit, you know, what do you do with it? So stay tuned and we'll, we'll talk about that one.